This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon, uh, uh, doing the show remotely from Richmond Hill, Ontario. And on the phone, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? And happy Easter. Good morning, Wally, and happy Easter to you, too. Uh, I'm in Nobleton, Ontario. Nobleton, Ontario. We've been doing this show remotely now for, uh, what's it been, about four weeks now, Naz? We've been on a bit of a roll lately. Uh, Just let our listeners know, uh, we've uh, had Dick Pound on, we've had Don Cherry, we've had uh, Dave Keon, uh, Peter Mansbridge, and another legend today, I think we may want to rename our show the uh, Naz and Wally Legends Show, Pleased to tell our listeners we'll be talking to my favorite Canadian sports journalist, Stephen Brunt. I'm really looking forward to that. And later on in the hour, the godfather of sports radio is talking to Eddie Andelman yesterday. He's down in West Palm in, in Florida. He's doing great and uh, going to catch up with him and all things uh, sporting uh, uh, involving New England and uh, his his remarkable career. Naz, uh guess we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about what's going on in the world today. I will uh, turn it over to you very quickly because then I've got I've got some thoughts. Uh, we lost uh, Pat Stapleton this past week. Uh, he's a friend of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour and a uh, great guy, a funny guy, and we lost him 79 years old. Yeah, truly, uh, we had we had some great conversations with Pat over the years. Um Always made time for us, always treated us with respect, uh, always bent over backwards to share uh, share his passion for hockey, of course, Team Canada 72, and uh, his years with, uh, with the Hawks and, and the Bruins. And, uh, yeah, he'll be missed. He was really, really, really nice gentleman. And uh, also, uh, we'd be remiss, uh, a tragedy out, uh, out uh, in the NHL this week. Young gentleman. Didn't really know much about his career, but had the opportunity to read about him uh, in the last couple of days. Colby Cave, uh, 25 years old, uh, in the prime. And um, we just wish uh, his family, our thoughts and prayers are with his family. And talking about family, Naz, um, you know, it's kind of tough. It's Easter. Um, you know, where I'm here <laughs> with, with my wife and uh, uh, kids aren't here today. Won't uh, gonna make a run downtown uh, to see them. Not gonna get closer than twenty feet. Uh, we're gonna do the sidewalk thing. Um, my my wife's gonna leave a little bit of a care package, but uh, we're gonna take all the precautions. Just want to see them. Not gonna get the opportunity to see my mother today. Uh, not gonna get the opportunity to see my in-laws or a lot of uh, a, lot, a lot of family and. Uh, Striking Easter's got a whole a whole new meaning this year, um, and 
and I'd like to uh, give you the opportunity to pass along your thoughts, Nez. My thoughts are, are similar. Well, it's going to be it's a, it's a tough day for us. Um, we have uh, my wife is with us, and my son, my uh, youngest son, is with us too. It's kind of rough on him right now because he's uh, isolated, kind of, and it's a difficult time for him. But uh, we have to survive, and that's the main thing. We have to survive and get through this. Very important. Oh. Oh, absolutely, and uh, you know we all we often take precautions. You know, we uh, human uh, human beings, what they are. We've got we've got the spirit of humanity within us, uh, and in, in in these difficult times, uh, you know, we uh, we look around and we see so much good, so much of the good things that that human beings do for each other. Um, um, and I, I, and this would be an appropriate time to, uh, 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 to mention, uh, you know, our good sponsor, Pizzaville. Uh, they've been with us for years. Uh, I was having a chat with Angelo, uh, Contardi yesterday, and, uh, he told me about, uh, you know, that he, he wants to, uh, we all want to support our frontline health workers. They're doing such an amazing job for all of us. And, you know, he's, uh, he's, and he, like so many other in, in the corporate community, in the business community, and so many others, are we're doing our best to support our frontline workers. Um, he found it uh, within his heart, within his company's uh, heart, to uh, donate a hundred twenty-five dollar gift cards to sixteen hospitals. Uh, um, Angela mentioned that to me. I'm, I'm not so sure he'd be thrilled. I, I, I'm saying this on the air, but uh, I think it's appropriate. Uh, 16 hospitals. He's donated them to frontline staff: Humber, Humber River Hospital, North York General, Sunnybrook, Mackenzie Hospital, Markham, Stovall. And I just go through this just to just to remind our listeners that there's so many people out there who are doing so much for us: Markham, Stovall, York Regional EMS, Toronto Western, St. Mike's, Scarborough Health, Trillium, Credit Valley, Guelph General, Grand River Kitchener, South Lake Regional and Newmarket. And Royal Victorian Barry, and the last one is personal. Um, I really thought about whether I was going to say this on the air, but the last one is Mount Sinai Hospital. My daughter's been working in the ER there in double shifts at time, and we worry about her. All, to all the healthline workers, the doctors, the nurses, the grocery store people, the policemen, the firefighters, the first responders, all those essential services where you have to be in contact with the public and you're putting yourself at risk. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'd like to thank the truckers also, Wally. Truckers. Um, very important. You know, we, 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 we tend to forget, you know, we're a sports show. Uh, we talk about, you know, athletes making millions and millions of dollars. Um, but, you know, we live in a civilized society and we all contribute in our own ways. And there are so many people out there who've never had limelight, who've never had the spotlight on them. Uh, but these are, these are times that we've never seen. And yes, if you get, to all our listeners, if you get an opportunity to thank somebody um, who is out there, providing us with a service, doing things that we need, that we have to. Um, 
take the opportunity to thank them. You have no idea how much it means to them. Uh, it really does. Um, and we're all part, we're all in this together. And as you said, NAS, truckers, all those people that have to go to work and are providing us with the necessities, thank you so much. Before we go to break, Naz, uh, last word. Well, another another week has to go by, so we're going to take this day by day and, uh, and week by week until it's over, and we'll survive this. Everybody stay stay calm, okay? Well, we, yes, and, uh, and on that note, I, I won't add anything to Nat, Nat, Naz. You've uh, you said it that you have said it. We will survive it. We will get through this. The sun will shine. And interestingly enough, it's Easter Sunday. I'm in my study. I'm looking out my window, and there's three three rabbits running around my yard. Who uh, I, I think they were put there to lift my spirits because I haven't seen them in a while. So. Uh, Interesting coincidence on an Easter Sunday morning. On that note, uh, we're going to go to break, and we're going to talk to uh, Stephen Brunt, my favorite sports writer of uh, Canadian sports writer of this generation. I'm really looking forward to this interview. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville decided to stone bake our pizzas the traditional way. That was over 50 years ago. Since then, the big pizza conglomerate started cooking their pizzas on conveyor belts, like you see at the airport. Now you can choose authentic Italian stone-baked pizza or pizza you could mistake for luggage. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca With a little training, anyone can learn the security business while on duty at your home or company. It's unfortunate, but a lot of security companies are just not experienced enough to handle the complex dynamics of tactical security. And that little bit of training and experience can end up costing you a lot more than you bargained for. Peace of mind, trust, and honor is the foundation on which the Regal Security reputation is built. They're driven, they're respected, and they're unrivaled. They're everyday superheroes. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. There's an old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character. It reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them every day. They've earned their trust. 
They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on the new AM 740 in Toronto, 96.7 FM. Live video streaming, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour reporter, columnist, anchor, and broadcaster nominated for numerous awards, my favorite Canadian sports journalist, Stephen Brunt. Good morning, Stephen, and welcome to Zoomer Radio. How are you this morning? I'm, uh, I'm very well. Uh, yeah, pleased to be here. How are you doing, guys? We're doing great and happy Easter. Thanks so much for joining us, Stephen. Uh, You've been one of my favorites for a long time, and uh, I, uh, all, 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 all kidding aside, when I when I when I wanted to grow up, I wanted to be Stephen Brunt. Um, uh, actually, I say that in jest. I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you. Uh, I, I admired your career. I always always wanted to be a sports journalist when I was younger. I actually got accepted to the University of Western Ontario in their journalism school, and at Ryerson. But my career path took a different, uh, a different take. Uh, thanks so much for joining it. Incredible career. Uh, you are sensitive in a way that a lot of other sports uh, journalists and reporters, um, uh, I would just say you're, you're very good at that. Uh, bring, your, uh, bring your view, uh, your sensitivity to what's going on in the world today and, uh, and your thoughts. Well, first of all, thanks. Those are for the kind words. I appreciate it. Um... And what's going on today? Look, I, I'm as lost as all the rest of us, as everybody else is. You know, this is this is like obviously nothing we've seen before, and uh, you know, we're all kind of navigating our way through it one day at a time. It, you know, it's it's been interesting to try and do it from the sports side of things. Um, I uh, first of all, I tip my cap to the guys, you know, that are our colleagues and. And on the news side, for at the newspapers and on television and radio, we're doing amazing work right now, and who have a real frontline, important frontline job. So, those folks are doing the really good stuff right now. And I, every day, I kind of, I'm amazed at how great, the, you know, the hours they're putting in, the the information they're processing, and just to, and you know, again, realizing how important that is. If you know, people should. This is a great time to kind of step back and think about how important it is. The journalism matters, you know, and it kind of. That's the information that they're rolling our democracy. So there's my PSA for today. You know, go out and you know what, pay for it. That's the other thing. You know, pay for a newspaper, pay for a subscription, pay for something because if you don't, it'll go away. But um, yeah, like it's it's it, you know, like I I I covered sports right after nine eleven. Um, I was in New York ten days after nine eleven to cover the first sporting events there, and that was you know that was kind of scary and surreal at, at the time. You know and um, you know, like I, I generally resist the idea that sports fixes stuff or, you know, that it heals things or any of that. I, I, I'm not sure that I think that's kind of an easy 
out sometimes, and I'm not sure things heal. Sometimes some things don't heal. But I think what I, you know, what I would say about right now is, you know, the communal aspect of sport, the you know, the getting together and cheering together part of it, which, you know, in terms of being part of a crowd, seems a long way off right now. I, I think that's what we're going to miss. Um, you know, there are going to be games at some point, maybe even this summer. You know, in empty stadiums and empty arenas, and we'll, we'll it'll be great. It'll we'll we'll have something to watch. It'll be a distraction, and there'll be championships awarded in kind of weird ways. And uh, yeah, it'll be a novelty, and, and I'm sure people will tune in. But I was just, you know, I was thinking yesterday about, you know, what's when's the next time you're going to walk into a stadium and, uh, you know, buy a beer and sit down in the stands and be part of a crowd and that great feeling that you get, you only get from sport. And, uh, you know, I already miss it. I wish I was watching ball games right now. And I, you know, and I don't know when we're going to get that back. Speaking of ball games, uh, hi, Stephen. How are you today? Hey, I'm well, thanks. That's good. You were in spring training the week before this all came down. What was it like coming back? And what was the feeling like down, down south? Well, that week, man, again, strange. I keep coming back to the same word, strange, but we were, yeah, we were down doing a week of radio. There was my first week of spring training. We were doing a week of radio there. And then I was going to stay down for another week and shoot some television interviews. So the Wednesday night, you know, which will ever be remembered as the Rudy Gobert night, uh, when the NBA shut down in the middle of a game, we were, I was out with Jeff Blair, who I work with and, and Kevin Barker, who I've worked with a lot on baseball, um, you know, having a drink in Florida. My son was there and, uh, we were watching that game on television. And, you know, obviously the, you know, there was the swirl, the story, the idea of COVID-19 was out there and, a lot of talk about what it might mean to sport. But when that came tumbling down that night, we all felt, oh, this is it. You know, the, the, the domino, first domino has fallen, and they're going to continue to fall. Um, that was a Wednesday night. The next day was Thursday. We were on air live during while the Jays were playing the Canadian National Junior Team, which they do every year in Dunedin. And in the middle of that game, spring training was shut down. That that we we knew that these were the last games that were going to be played with the game there, and there was they were another split squad was playing down in uh, Bradenton. So we were you you know you you understood that you were watching something that was about to be you know that we we were about to head into that unknown territory. And by Friday, they had padlocked the park. We interviewed you know Mark Shapiro did a scrum outside the stadium, and we ended up doing our show from the common room at a condo where one of our uh, where Ben Wagner, our play-by-play guy, lives in Dunedin. So. And then Saturday morning, I was—I've never been more grateful to get on a plane and get home. Um, but it—but it felt, yeah, it was scary. Um, it is still scary, and uh, you know, you just—you you kind of felt it, it was weird in Florida because you know the beaches were still full, the bars were full, the restaurants were full. It was spring break. There was there was an sense of a, there was an obliviousness there. It was like we had secret information that no one else had, or at least no one else was paying attention to. So. Um, the contrast between, you know, Florida in March, the way it always is, and just wanting to get the heck home, you know, and lock the door behind you. That, that's, that's what it felt like. Uh, Stephen, uh, I always get the opportunity to, when I, it's a standard question of mine, so uh, please forgive me. You grew up in Hamilton. Uh, you went to University of Western Ontario. Uh, when did you get the bug that you were going to be a uh, sports journalist? And did you have any particular uh, journalism heroes when you're growing up? Were you one of the one of the one of the guys who used to wait for your Sports Illustrated to come in the mail every week uh, 
tell us uh, tell us how that whole uh, you got the whole idea to be a sports journalist and whether it was a passion of yours from the very very beginning. Well, you know, we're honestly it, it wasn't. It's you know, it's, I came to this from a very different route than most people do. I um, look, I, I'm a, I've been a sports fan my whole life, obviously, like like everybody else is. You know, I'm I'm not like not a super fan, like a crazy fan, but I yeah, I, I live in Hamilton now and. I grew up watching the Tiger Cats, and I, you know, I love baseball and um, the boxing, which I've written a lot about. You know, hockey cheered for the Detroit Red Wings because it was a Hamilton connection there. Um, but yeah, I was a, I was a fan. But when I went to school, I wanted to be first. I wanted to be a musician. Then I realized I wasn't good enough to be a musician, so I started writing about music. And I did that in university as an undergrad while I was going to school. I did it for the paper, the London Free Press, uh, and the university paper. Um, and I went to journalism school in Western wanting to be a, uh, an arts writer, a music writer. And that's how I started at the Globe. I got hired there as a summer student to, to in that great arts department at the Globe and Mail. It was an amazing department in those days. Um, and kind of hung around there. And I eventually got hired. Um, you know, it was, it was the early 80s. There was a recession. So, you know, it, it was tough. But I eventually got hired as a news reporter, as a general assignment news reporter, because I'd been to J school and... They knew me at the Globe. I'd never really done it. And uh, I worked in news for a few years. I covered uh, federal elections and provincial elections. I did a little bit of stuff in the ledge. I went covered courts. Um, and I wound up in sports first as a feature writer, back when they had a huge Globe and Mail sports section, and they let you, you could write great big long-form features, which was a great gig. Um, but I, I, I never worked a beat. Um, and I, I was hired as the columnist after Trent Frain, who was one of my heroes. Um, retired. You know, they had mandatory retirement at 65 in those days. And so he was forced to retire. <laughs> and uh, they didn't have an obvious successor on the staff, I guess. Uh, I applied for the job, and I got it. So, you know, most guys who do this, that's they were sports writers their whole lives. You know, they wanted to be sports writers their whole lives. They did it, at, you know, in school papers. They worked a beat for years or several beats. You know, I jumped right in as a columnist in 1988, and, um, or 89, I guess. And, uh, you know what, I, I, I had to figure out how to do it. I, I would like, I'd be the first to admit I wasn't very good, but I, you know, I, I, I learned how to do it. And, uh, I, I did have some great mentors out there. Uh, Trent was one of them. Um, but my, my, my real idol and, and a guy who taught me more than, you know, than anybody else about writing a column was Milton L at the Toronto star who, uh, you know, in theory, was my rival, right? He was. We were we were competitors in theory, but you know, Milt was already in his 80s then, um, and uh, he was he was a great pro, and he had been everywhere and done everything, and he was very kind to me, and uh, you know, he he taught me a lot about being a pro, being a professional, working the deadline, um, how to handle yourself, and uh, I'll, like I, I like I went to J school and all that stuff, but I. I Everything I learned about sports writing, I learned from Milton L. You uh, were inducted into the CFL Hall of Fame. I didn't know that until yesterday when I researched it. Uh, because you haven't said yeah. much about CFL in the past few years. But what was it like being inducted to the Hall of Fame and um, being a Hamilton Tiger Cat fan? Well, it was great. You know, it, it's, they have a little wing there for, for people who covered the league, for writers. And again, so many great people are in it. You know, the Jim Coleman's there. Ted Reeve is there. You know, again, guys I grew up reading uh, who were writing about the league. Um, and it was 
look, I, when I was a kid, especially, it was central to me. Like there was no team more important to me than the Hamilton Tiger Cats in any sport. Um, it was all about you know where I lived and our identity in Hamilton and uh, you know what we stood for as kind of a working class town. It was a lot of stuff wrapped up in the Tie Cats, and you know we hated the Argos. Like it, like my my whole family. You know, my mom, who's you know almost ninety now, is still a passionate football fan and a passionate Tiger Cat fan. So we, yeah, we, you know, I, I grew up going to Iver what was then Iverwind Stadium. Before that, it was Civic Stadium. Um, and you know, sitting with the you know like a Labor Day in Hamilton is still, um, you know, one of the great kind of rituals in sport to me. It's not like it used to be. You know, like like a lot of things aren't like they used to be. But uh, so yeah, getting getting. Getting on a list that includes, you know, Jim Coleman, Ted Reeve, Milton L., that crowd, I'm, I was pretty proud. You know, it was, it was one, it, it, I, my family came to that, that induction. Um, and that was really, that was, that was very cool. You know, you got awards are awards, but um, that one meant a lot because of who I was, because of the company I was keeping. Uh, Stephen, you're an accomplished author. Uh, quite a few books, uh, 17, I believe, or maybe more. Um, some of my favorites, the one uh, now I'm catching on about Bob Cole, the Gretzky's Tears, the Jordan Tutu book, Facing Ali. Uh, we don't have time to talk about all of them, Stephen, but there's one I do want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you share a birthday with this gentleman, yeah, Bobby Orr. I do. Twentieth. Uh, searching for Bobby Orr. I, I've got to tell you, it, it's uh, uh, when the book came out, uh, I didn't quite understand the title because I, I sort of. Why do we need to search for Bobby Orr? Uh, I didn't get a sense that he had gone or had gone away, but after reading the book, I understood. Um, tell us how that book came about, and when you came up with that title, was it before the book or after the book? What were you looking for? Well, it's, you know, I was well working on the book, and and you know, Bobby's elusive, right? He's he's never. You know, he's never really done. He did an authorized biography two or three years ago, but it, it, there wasn't a whole lot in it. He's, you know, an extraordinarily private guy. He's a bit. He's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, um, and that goes way, way back. And um, you know, he doesn't let people in. And I talked to him about doing. And I look. I'm one of a hundred guys who probably talked to him about doing a biography. And he kind of patted me on the back, gave me a smile, and said, "Sure, we'll talk about it down the road." But, like, I know a whole bunch of guys who had that conversation with him and never materialized. And, you know, I, at first I kind of thought, well, that was that. You know, the publisher was interested in an Aura book, and, and I, I was interested because he was, I saw him play junior hockey as a kid, you know? Like, I saw him play for the Oshawa Generals in Hamilton. Like, one of my first memories in sport was that. And he was the greatest player of my youth, you know? And, and for all of us, that's, you know, the, those are the greatest players, right? So I, I, was, I was really excited about doing it. And, um, and then I, I decided to just go ahead and do it anyway, um, you know, without him. So I, you know, I wrote him a letter and said, look, this is what I'm going to do. And I agreed to some things in terms of, uh, you know, people in his, like, I didn't kind of annoy his family or anything like that, but I, uh, I reported the book, you know, I spent a lot of time in Perry sound. I talked to a lot of people and I kind of, you know, tried to, you know, tried to kind of drill down to that, you know, the, the search was for the guy, um, you know, for the person, the kid that grew up in Perry Sound and, and kind of what made him tick. And, you know, it ended up being a book not just about that, but about the era in the NHL that, you know, the around expansion, first player agents, you know, Al Eagleson was his agent, first player agent in hockey. The first, you know, players were starting to be marketed as commodities. He was the first guy to do that. 
Um, there are a lot of things in that swirl in the 1960s and early 1970s, culturally, you know, in terms of sports and the sports business, that all kind of led into that story. Um, and, you know, it was a hell of a challenge to, to write it without him. But I, you know, like I, I'm, I, I think it's fair. I think the book is is absolutely fair to him. I think it's. I was out front about what I was doing, and I think it's it's aged pretty well. To you know, just to pat myself on the back a little bit here, but I, I, I think that book holds up pretty well. Uh, Stephen, one area that you've been extremely passionate about, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't the sport that it used to be, uh, which is boxing. Boxing, <laughs> when I grew up. Uh, may have been the world sport in the sense that those at the top of the boxing game were probably the world's most popular athletes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember, I remember how popular boxing was. I remember the first Ali Fraser fight in New York City. It was, I remember listening on CFRB. It wasn't play by play. They would report, there would be a reporter that would report after each round, it was a 30-second report, uh, and people were tuned just to listen to the report. Boxing isn't what it was. What happened? Well, you know, it's, it, a bunch of things happened, and, you know, and it still occasionally crosses over. Um, you know, it, like an individual fight will still cross over. Even something weird like that Floyd Mayweather-Conor uh, McGregor fight, was a, that was a huge sporting event, you know, in terms of the, the world. And Mayweather Pacquiao was too, you know, in terms of you look at the money they generated, those were global events, but yeah, it, it has, it has slipped out of the mainstream. It, you know, it used to be if you wrote sports that same as horse racing, right? Horse racing and boxing used to be kind of things that everybody had to write. Uh, and I, you know, look, I grew up, I love it. I love the stories. You know, I, I, I love the history. I love the personalities. Like writers are drawn to boxing. There's, you know, no, then there's no mystery why, you know, it's just, so vivid and colorful, and it's and primal. You know, it's real. Um, but it, you know, at, I, I guess since I guess the last time it really was was you know front of mind for people was the whole Tyson thing, which I covered. You know, from from the time he was eighteen right through to the I covered his trial. I covered everything in that era, and that story was that was a big story. And he's still probably as well known as any boxer out there, even though. You know, he crashed and burned and went to jail, and that was a long time ago. Um, I, a lot of the best, the best athletes in North America don't box anymore because it's hard and nasty, and there are better ways to make a living. You know, there are easier ways to make a living in sport, more secure. Uh, it's you know, boxing still very much alive in Europe, in pockets in England for sure. A lot of the best fighters come out of Russia now and and Eastern Europe because again, they come out of poverty, and that's where fighters have always come from, and. Uh, so I, I don't, yeah, I don't think it'll ever come back. And UFC, you know, mixed martial arts, those guys are smart, you know, and they've, they've kind of jumped in there and satisfied the need for combat sport because people do like it, you know, whether we like that or not, that's true. And they're, and they've just been way more clever about how they run the business and capturing a younger demographic. So it doesn't really, there's not really any room for boxing anymore in the culture. Just, you know, we can, there's, look, there's, I, I watched yet another Ali documentary last night, one I hadn't seen before about Ali's, all his appearances on the Dick Cavett show, which is a great documentary. But the fact that we're, you know, we keep going back to Ali, you know, tells you that there really isn't a comparable. You know, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing between Ali and now that even comes close. Speaking of Ali, you made a trip out to his house. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, I, I did. I uh, many many years ago. Um, I was uh, yeah, I was I was I was in a wedding party in Chicago with a friend of mine. Actually, Lennox Lewis was in the wedding party too, so it was a boxing wedding. And uh, you know, I knew from a friend that Ali Ali had a place in Berrien Springs, Michigan, which is not far from Chicago. And you know, he welcomed people in just kind of off the street because he liked people. And and uh, yeah, we drove up and pushed the buzzer on the gate. And, my kids were little then. My sons were, were very, very young, and we were we were welcomed in for kind of you know we spent I don't know a better part of an hour kind of just hanging around there. He was he was you know he was you know he he was diminished at that stage. You know he the the, the damage that boxing had done to him and the Parkinson syndrome that resulted from that damage. He, you know he was he was fragile um, and and quiet, but I'm yeah I'm still kind of awestruck by the whole experience. It's. You know, and being able to do it with my family is still one of the great experiences of my life. Uh, Stephen, you're uh, you're doing a, a show now, Open Invitation. It's on Sportsnet's on YouTube. Uh, you're also participating in Writer's Block on Sportsnet with uh, with Blair and Deitch. Uh, um, if you had the opportunity to interview somebody that you haven't interviewed yet, or somebody from the past, who would you want to interview? Well, it's funny, you know, like sports wise, I kind of, I, I did, I've done pretty well, you know, and uh, even not sports wise, I'm not sure there's, uh, you know, like, like there are great sports figures from the past, maybe, um, you know, that, that, yeah, obviously any of us would have liked to have a chance to, to sit down with, uh, you know, Joe DiMaggio or, you know, Sugar Ray Robinson or somebody like that. But, you know, again, I kind of go back to where, you know, my original path was and who my heroes were, you know, and they were, they were, artists and musicians, you know, that's really what I, where I come from. You know, I, as, as much as he was a pretty horrible person, I think I, 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 if I'd ever had the chance to sit down with Miles Davis, I'd take that over <laughs> anybody in sports. Uh, talking about uh, boxing and MMA, you, uh, I saw you uh, recently, you, you interviewed Dana White. Yep. And MMA and UFC is not something we've talked about on our show at all. Uh, in 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 it maybe a generational thing, uh, Zoomer Zoomers generally uh, that's not the demographic for it. I've never understood it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you 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 your quote was it may be the most fascinating business story of our lifetime. Explain it to me. Yeah, sports business it is because they invented something out of whole in a whole cloth, right? They they and I saw I happened to be at the. UFC seven in Buffalo a million years ago with with some friends from of mine from the boxing business we went down just for out, out of curiosity and it was kind of the you know no holds barred tough man contest you know we it it was you know it it, it seemed like kind of the end of civilization in a lot of ways um, but those guys you know Dana White and his backers who were the these guys the Fertitta brothers out of out of uh, Las Vegas you know bought the company and you know, legitimized it. They took, they invented a, a sport. And I look, I was a skeptic. Everybody was a skeptic. But, you know, you can't do that. And there's, a, you know, there's a limit to how many people are going to want to watch this stuff. And, you know, they're, you're not going to get it legalized in jurisdictions. You're not going to be able to get it sanctioned because, you know, the, there's, you know, at that point there were no rules essentially. And they took that, you know, that idea and went jurisdiction to jurisdiction. They were super smart politically. They hired a bunch of square people. They, codified the rules um and you know if you think you know it was illegal here in ontario for a long long time and uh they managed to convince 
politicians in every one of those states and every one of those provinces, every one of those countries that it was at least as safe as boxing, which it is. It's no more dangerous than boxing. I think it's less dangerous than boxing. Um, you know, they, they turned a kind of an outlaw business into a square business and then ran with it um, and found an audience for it because I think they believed rightly that, you know, we are, there is still an audience for that stuff among human beings, whether you like it or not. We like violence. Some of us do. Um, or at least can be attracted to it. And, uh, you know, they built a business. They, they, you know, they're, they're ruthless. They run a ruthless monopoly. They've essentially squeezed every, all of their competitors out of business. They're, they produce great television content. They control the fighters in a, you know, in a way that's not fair. But from a business point of view, it's brilliant. So no fighter is bigger than the company. And, uh, yeah, I... Uh, like, like I've interviewed Dana White a million times, but this last time for Open Invitation, and, and my, you know, our thing has evolved over the years. I was the skeptical boxing guy for years, but look, I'm not, it's not my cup of tea the way boxing is. I understand it way better than I used to, I think, because I, I, I made a point of trying to understand it. And I, but I tip my cap to them, you know. Um, I, they, they have pushed their way into the, you know, they got a huge deal with ESPN in the States now. There's nothing more mainstream than that. And I, if you'd asked me 10 years ago or 15 years ago if this was possible, I would have said, no, no, no way. It'll be a fringe thing. You can't, there, you know, there just aren't enough people who will go for it, and corporations aren't going to want to associate with it. Too bloody. You know, it's too primitive. And yet, look where we are right now. You know, they, I say they, they are absolutely in the mainstream. So, you know, it's, it's how many times in history could you stand back and watch somebody essentially invent a sport? That, like, I, 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 I the only time in my my lifetime when it's going to happen. Stephen, can you tell me if the CFL could survive without the Argos? Yeah, well, I don't think they're going to have to because you know the ownership is going to keep them going because of ML the MLSE partnership. There's enough money there now that you know, especially on the Bell TSN side, they've got a vested interest in keeping them going. But I think the I think the more pertinent question today is whether the CFL could survive what's going on right now if they lose the season because. Uh, they are a gate-driven league more than any other sport. Um, a huge amount of their revenue comes from people being in the stadiums. And I know in Toronto you look at it and say that, that's not a lot of revenue, but you know the rest of the league, it, it's, it's driven by the gate. And I, they are more fragile as a business than most of the other sports we're talking about. Like, you know, the, whatever happens with baseball or basketball or the NHL this spring, they'll be back next year. You know, and I, again, I think they'll be... They're going to, I think they're all going to do something this summer. I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but I think they're going to be desperate to do something. But, you know, the CFL is, is, is this is a real perilous moment for the CFL because uh, they say that there's, if, if they're, they're, they're generally, you know, if you look at the publicly owned teams in the West who have to kind of t- open their books, about 30% of their revenue comes from ticket sales, and that doesn't count, you know, hot dogs and beer and, private boxes so it's, it's more than that um and if you wipe that off the books i i'm i'm not sure you know i'm not i'm not sure that they can make it um so yeah we're that's 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 one to watch this year unfortunately that's going to be one to watch this year uh steven unfortunately uh as your former partner used to say time has become our enemy uh we're gonna have to let you go just want to remind our listeners uh um, you want to see uh, a master interviewer, watch Stephen Brunt on Open Invitation on Sportsnet. It's uh, some fantastic stuff, fantastic guests. And I'll just leave it off with this, Stephen. Uh, let me throw this one at you. 
because I, I admire your interviewing skills. Uh, uh, if you were interviewing yourself, what question would you ask yourself? That's a good one, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good one. I, uh, hmm, when I think about that, you know, it would probably, you know, it would, it would probably go back, you know, I, it, ideally I would know something about my own kind of passion for, uh, for music and where that, you know, and, and, and trying to kind of relate what I wanted to be with what I became. That's that prof- professionally, you know, that, that would probably be where I would go, but that's a long, that's a long answer too. It's a, it's, it's a great answer. Listen, Stephen, you don't know how much we appreciate this. We really do. It's been a pleasure. I've wanted to do this for such a long time. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to one of the best. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Enjoyed it. And hey, take care everybody out there and everybody, you know, let's all, let's all hang in. It's uh, where we'll get through it. Thanks so much. Stephen Brunt. See you guys. Thank you. Uh, Brandon, take us to commercial, and we'll be back with the godfather of sports radio, Eddie Andelman. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville declared, We'll never be the fastest! We'll never be the cheapest! We'll never be the snazziest dressed! What? Yeah, my point is, we want to be the best! At Pizzaville, we want to make the best pizza, stone-baked, the traditional Italian way. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza, fiercely Canadian, authentically Italian. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. The security business is easy, right? Anyone can learn it. Perhaps they can learn it on duty with your valuables at stake. Perhaps they can learn it in a crisis situation that requires an immediate intelligent response when lives are at risk. After all, what harm can a few mistakes make? Plenty. When it comes to security for your business or office, an experienced partner like Regal Security makes sense. Security is what they do. Peace of mind is what they provide. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. 
The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Opinions expressed on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Hour. We are live from uh, normally from Liberty Village, but this morning we're from uh, from Richmond Hill uh, and from Nobleton. Naz, how are you this morning? I'm good. I'm good. That was quite good. Uh, uh, our producer Brandon is trying to get Eddie Andelman on the phone. Uh, no luck so far. We'll we'll keep trying. Uh, your reaction to the Stephen Brent interview? Uh, I've always I've always admired Stephen. I always uh, he brings a certain intelligence. Um, passion um, uh, to his craft, and and um, like I said, you can people can watch him. Uh, he's doing this great interview series on Sportsnet, and uh, I know you've been a big fan of his for a long time. the The series is called Open Invitation. You always see Stephen on Sportsnet. He's uh, he's been on the air a career over thirty years, and. Uh, Yes, Naz, you reminded me. He's in the uh, Canadian uh, Canadian Football Hall of Fame, and uh, I hadn't realized that either. So uh, that was uh, certainly a well-deserved honor. Very um, interesting what he said about the CFL. Not, maybe maybe not surviving this whole thing. That's scary. Um, well, you know, he, he makes the point that the CFL is a gate-driven league. Um, you know, they're... How the CFL is going to start up is going to be an interesting question. Uh, CFL normally uh, they they start heading to their training camps in in the month of May, and the season starts in uh, you know in June. Uh, whether that's going to happen and, and in what form it's going to happen, uh, time will tell. Um, around the July first already, well. Anyways, I, I understand we've got Eddie Andelman on the line. Eddie, are you with us? I'm with you. Good. Uh, Eddie, how are you? I'm doing fine. How's the south? Everybody's good up here. You're isolating. Everybody's good down in Florida. You're healthy. The fabulous Judy's healthy. Yeah, everything's good. Fantastic. Eddie, we just, we just had a quick chat with uh, a gentleman uh, by the name of Stephen Brunt, who's one of Canada's great journalists and one of uh, Canada's great uh, interviewers. And it reminded me of some of the great interviews uh, you've done in your career. I mean, you've, you've, you've interviewed um, men from, from, from your time, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. You interviewed probably every significant sports uh, athlete ever. Who was your favorite interview? Well, actually, my favorite interview was not a sports person. It was Miss Lillian, President Jimmy Carter's mother. She was Seriously. a huge wrestling fan. Okay. And uh, tell us why right. that was your favorite interview. Well, because she was like 88 years old, and she was really into Killer Kowalski and all my favorites. 
So we talked about hypothetical matches. I mean, it was a scream. And uh, sports-wise, who was your favorite sports athlete you ever interviewed? Oh, Ted Williams. And uh, your recollection of, of that interview, some of the questions you asked them, and some of the answers you got? Well, he really stunned me because, uh, I tell you, I had spent some considerable money and time lobbying for our main tunnel, the new tunnel that connected Boston with the North Shore. And um, what happened was uh, it finally got named the Ted Williams Tunnel. And I'm about to start the show one day, and I couldn't believe it. In walks Ted Williams along with Governor Welk and a big bag of Chinese food. And we sat down, and I interviewed Ted for three hours. The highlight of the interview was this. I asked him, I said, Ted, I, I know you hit um, the last person to hit 0400, and you wouldn't sit down on open, on the last day. You could have st- uh, stopped, I think, at 401, but you insisted on playing both games of a doubleheader, and you ended up batting uh, four. 06 or 07. And he said, well, that's not even in my top 10 thrills. So I was stunned. I said, what what do you mean by that? He said, Eddie, I never had a chance to play against the great players. Remember, Negro players were were bad at that time. Do you imagine that the greatness of that man saying that? And until he died, um, he was very generous. He lived on you know, very small money, but he always sent huge amounts of money to the Jimmy Fund, which was a local charity to help uh, children with cancer. And the other half always went to the Negro Leagues for the museum in Kansas City. Um, you know, Ted was bigger than life. And one of the main reasons why a, a movie was never made of his life was nobody would believe it. You know, coming back from the service a second time, and, and can you imagine uh, hitting, I think it was eight for nine in, in, in a doubleheader brick stadium? He just was an incredible, uh, bigger-than-life athlete, and I would say second uh, to Babe Ruth. Wow. Naz? How can I follow that? That's amazing. It's an amazing <laughs> story. Who is the phoniest yeah. guy you ever had, Eddie? The phoniest? Yes. I'd have to say it was uh, Robert Kraft of the Patriots. Uh, I, I'm not so sure I want to get into any details on that one, Eddie. Let's, let's leave, let's leave that one alone. Um, uh, Tom, Tom Brady has, is no longer right. a New England Patriot. Um, right. He's now in Tampa. I think the last time we chatted, or a few times back, you were a big proponent of Tom Brady retiring. Um, it was time. Uh, have you changed your opinion? No, uh, I, I don't see what else he can possibly accomplish. Uh, that's. But the the real problem is, what if he gets hurt? You know. At, at his age, I mean, I know at my age, um, my kids tell me that there's no reason for anybody that knows me uh, to, to list the five uh, things you should do to stay away from the virus. 
And instead, it's just my picture should be on the on the television screen. <laughs> I I have all five. But uh, in all seriousness, you know, Tom is. Um, I mean, has a record that will never be matched, in my opinion. And I just don't understand with uh, three children, and and all the money in the world, why he would possibly want to continue. What, what else can he do? With the exception of the fact that. He just wants to prove that he can do it without Belichick. Uh, Eddie, uh, it's uh, Easter Sunday. By the way, I'm remiss for not wishing you a happy Passover. Happy Passover. Um, well, thank you very much. Your, uh, your favorite athlete of all time? Well, I mean, I have several. I mean, uh, certainly Larry Bird is there. And certainly Ted Williams is there. And certainly Bill Russell and John Havlicek are there. Uh, and I'm going to give you a name for you hockey folks up there that you probably don't remember, but Milt Schmidt. Milt Schmidt. Um, yeah. Milt Schmidt, when I was a, a hockey fan in those days, was one of the great competitors I've ever seen. And one thing I remember, his last year, um, whenever he scored a goal, he would skate over to the official scorer and make sure some young player got the credit for the goal. That was Milt Schmidt. And uh, Russell, Bird, Havlicek, what uh, what impressed you about those guys? Well, because Russell was the ultimate competitor. There's never been an MVP as good as Russell in any sport. I mean, I can say that because no matter who he played for, I was going to be the winner. He was just and an incredible desire to win. And, um, of course, Havlicek, who passed away this year, I find that almost impossible to believe that he's not with us because there's never been a player who was such a whirlwind that played for so many years. You know, even when he retired, the fact is he just felt silly, as he said to Sports Illustrated, you know, playing a sport in his underwear at his age. But he still was effective last year. Uh Great play. And, of course, Larry Bird was one of a kind. You know, iconoclastic, uh, and yet at the same time, who can ever forget when they had the three-point shootout and he walked into the locker room with his competitors and said, all right, who's going to be second? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we've been talking to Eddie Andelman. Eddie, we've only got 30 seconds left, and uh, unfortunately we could spend, uh, you know how many hours we could spend with you. Uh, I'm a little disappointed, uh WrestleMania went by and John Cena ducked you again. Uh, when is he? Uh, when, when, when are they ever going to set up that match, Andelman and Cena? Well, they talk about boxing having a fixed match. John Cena has had three thousand matches fixed in his favor. He couldn't beat a nine-year-old girl if it was a fair fight. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, we, we all needed a good laugh, and uh, and uh, when we need that, we always turn to Eddie Andelman. Eddie, unfortunately, we got to get off the air. Uh, thanks so much right, for joining us. And I hope Canada rebounds quickly. We will, and I've said this, uh, and it means so much more than it has in the past. I hope I see you soon. Keep well, my friend. Okay. Thank On you. that, thank you. Wally, Andelman. I'd like to do a shout-out if I could quick. Ian McPhee, 93 years old this week. Happy birthday. Fantastic. To all our listeners, have a fantastic and safe 
week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning. Thank you. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.